Hello, welcome to Wake the Bride podcast. My name is Luke Beats. In Romans 13, 11 through 12, the Apostle Paul states, And knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. It is my goal in this podcast to help stir a sleeping church and motivate weary believers by looking at current events, Bible prophecy, and apologetics. Hopefully, by the end of this episode and each following and previous episodes, we can better see as Jesus did in John 4.35, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already. Ready to harvest. On our first episode, introductory episode, uh, we looked at the benefits of Bible prophecy. I'm just kind of trying to ease into this topic. Uh, last week, we looked at the precision, at just how precise Bible prophecy really is, and how accurate and really how detailed God is um, in His in the Bible uh, when it comes to Bible prophecy. Today, though, I want to look at the urgency of Bible prophecy, because contrary to what a lot of people say, studying Bible prophecy, especially if you would be in the camp that I am, um, as a futurist, uh, some will say, oh, well, you're just so heavenly minded, you're of no earthly value, or that just genders people toward uh, being lax in their spirituality, or you, you get your mind so much on what's to come or what may happen in the future that you just forget all about what is going on now. Well, I would disagree with that. Um, in fact, I would say it's the exact opposite because it is so easy as people, you know, as Christians, it is easy because really we're just we're normal people that have been saved by the grace of God, but it's easy to get into a rut or a routine. And if we're not careful, we can become so accustomed to simply going through the motions mm-hmm. of everyday life, of just being a Christian. I don't mean to imply that that as Christians there that we are faking uh, or just going through motions in the sense of just faking it, as the saying goes, faking it until you make it. That's not what I'm saying. Rather, um, I want to point out the possibility of becoming so used to doing what we call Christianity, such as doing our devotions, studying the Word daily, prayer, going to church, etc. The different things that that as a Christian is should be, clarify, should be second nature to us. Um, but if we're not careful we can get into a rut and we can get into a routine to where we do the exact same thing. Uh, it loses its life and just because just becomes something that we do. We can become so used to these good and needful things that it becomes like driving home from work on the same route every day. Uh, whenever me and my wife were first married, I grew up about – uh, probably 30, 30 minutes, 30 miles from where I live. My wife was from Ohio, uh, moved her to Texas, God's country. But anyway, um, but when we first moved and I bought the place that we live at and we moved here and I moved my wife here, when we were driving, when we would drive to this house, to our current address, 
you know, I'd have to watch uh, for street signs. Uh, I'd have to watch for speed limit signs so I'd know when to turn, um, so I would know how fast I was supposed to go. Um, I had to watch for the surrounding landmarks uh, because it was new. It was a new area, and I didn't want to mess up, and I didn't want to make a mistake and drive too far, which in all honesty, I've done that before, especially when we first moved here. Um, I didn't want to miss a turn. I didn't want to go too fast and get a ticket. Uh, because I was unfamiliar with my surroundings, I used greater care in my actions. However, you know, I've lived here now for about well, nearly eight years. It'll be eight years in December. Me and my wife have been married. She's awesome. I love her. She's been a great blessing. But anyway, let me get back to what I'm talking about here. Um, Hard to talk about being married to her, though, and not say how wonderful it is. But anyway, I digress. Um, We've lived here for nearly eight years, and I've driven to and from my home just from to and from work somewhere in the neighborhood around 2,050 to 54 times. Um, Approximate number. I mean, I'm not going to promise to that, but doing some quick math, subtracting holidays and Sundays, uh, it's approximately 2,054 times. And I've become really used to the route. Uh, now, I don't have to watch for the signs as much. I really don't have to look for the speed limit sign. I know where I'm supposed to turn. I know how fast I'm supposed to go. Uh, sometimes on my way home from work, I'll be listening to a podcast. I'll be listening maybe to a radio uh, show, something on the radio, listen to music. Generally, I'm listening to politics or religion or Christian talk radio, one of those two. Um but I can get so enveloped in that that if I'm not careful, sometimes I'll get all the way home, or especially I'll get to my last exit before I um, take my exit to go to my house, that I'll think, whoa, how did I get here? I got here so fast. I won't really remember how I got there. Why? Because I've done it enough that I know what I'm supposed to do and when I'm supposed to do it. And I can almost go into autopilot, even before I realize it. Um, without much thought, I can go through the motions of driving home while my brain is elsewhere occupied. I'll be thinking of something way away while my hands, feet uh, are just going through the motions. And without even thinking about it, I'll find myself driving home. Now, in a way, that's a good thing because I'm not having to, you know, just pay so close attention to see the street sign, to see this, or, you know, to see the speed limit sign. Um, and I can just go through the motion. I can drive home. Mm-hmm. But really, that's not the safest way to drive. Um, but familiarity with the route, especially as I drive home, it breeds comfort. And really, familiarity does that with everything. It breeds comfort of the fact that I know both what I am doing and how I'm supposed to do it. Really, it comes from feeling like I've mastered it, that, you know, I know how to do this. I'm okay. I I don't have to worry about it. But obviously, there's danger. And the obvious danger can readily be seen in the fact that while I'm zipping along, um, as if I don't uh, have a worry at all, if I don't continue to be aware of my surroundings, I may miss something. Uh, there could be maybe a deer. There are lots of deer where we live, especially on our way home from church at night. We see them nearly every trip home at multiple places uh, throughout on our route. 
Um, we see a lot of deer, and we live out in the country, so we see lots of deer. And there could be a deer jump out in front of me. Maybe someone is broke down on the side of the road, and if I'm not paying attention because I'm just so convinced, hey, I've got this under control, I'm just on autopilot, I might miss something. And in the same way with our Christian life, we can become so used to our routine. And we get up in the morning, we drink our coffee. If you drink coffee, if you don't, then you know, that's fine, uh, whichever way you go. But we get up in the morning, we read our Bibles, we pray, we spend that quiet time, which is very important. We spend that quiet time with the Lord, um, but we just get into a rut. We get into a routine, and we get so used to our routine that we, without even meaning to, I think, we slip into autopilot, and before we know it, we become so familiar with how we do Christianity that we can do it in our sleep. And sometimes I'm afraid it's not just that we can. It's like on my drive home. I don't literally go to sleep, but I can almost turn that part of my brain off and focus on other things as I just go through the motion. Now, it's here that Bible prophecy should have the same effect as a blaring car horn or the bump and rumble of accidentally driving on the rumble strip along the shoulder of the road. You know, when you're driving and maybe you're not paying quite enough attention and all of a sudden someone lays on the horn and it jars. You're like, whoa, you, know, you instantly become aware. Uh, generally, if I have only one hand on the steering wheel or if I'm just cruising along and someone blows the horn, both of my hands grab the steering wheel. I'm alert. I'm looking around. I try not to have people honk at me very often. But anyway, um, uh, or whenever you're driving and there is that rumble strip, we always call it a rumble strip. There's probably a more technical term, but anyway, um, and you drive and you maybe veer over that white line just a little and that boom, boom, boom sound comes up, comes up from the road. Or maybe it's when you just barely veer across that center line and there are the, uh, a rumble strip there. Sometimes you hear that boom, 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 boom. And it reminds you, Hey, I need to be paying attention to what's going on. Just as both of these scenarios can grab the attention of a distracted driver, Bible prophecy should grab our attention, and it should shake us out of our spiritual slumber. Take, for instance, and I know this is a passage we read every program on every episode, but hear what it's saying. Romans 13, 11 through 12. We already read it once at the beginning, but when we're looking at the fact of something that will grab us and shake us out of our lethargy, uh, this one should, Romans 13, 11 through 12, and knowing the time that it is now high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Like, I mean, it's should be to our minds like like a car horn, like I said, as Paul lays on the horn saying, knowing the time that it is now high time to awake, to wake up, to realize where we are. This is the urgency that is shown and that can be seen throughout all of Bible prophecy. Because really what Bible prophecy does is it gives us a warning. It gives us a glimpse, I guess you you could say, of what is to come or of danger ahead so that we can correct course to get us aware of what's coming so we can be ready. 
Um, to the dozing Christian, such passages as Romans 13, 11 through 12 uh, should scream out like a <clears throat> excuse me, should scream out like a car horn cutting through the fog of familiarity. I mean, it should be like someone laying on a horn and it should scream to us, wake up, time is short, work while you can. I mean, it should grab our attention of saying, get off of autopilot and look around at what needs to be done. Take inventory and stock of yourself. Rather than a futuristic view of Bible prophecy um, engendering apathy, as I already said, you know, some people say that, well, you're just looking for an escape or or you're just you're not paying attention to what's going on right now because you think everything is going to get so bad in the future that you're just not even worried about this. You're, you're just kind of throwing in the towel. But as I said at the beginning, I really think that is the opposite of the truth. As I said Instead of futurist, a futuristic view of Bible prophecy uh, bringing a person into apathy and into slumber and into sleep, I think it should stir a person. If you believe that what the Bible prophesies is truth and is going to happen in the future and not has already been fulfilled, and you really read it and you take it for what it says, then it should stir within a person uh, an urgency that, am I ready? Am I really prepared? Because personally, um, and I may be getting a little ahead of myself and tipping my hand a little on some things, which is fine. Um, I would rather not see if it's possible to escape these things, which in the future I'll look at whether or not, um, you know, view different views of the rapture and different views of end time prophecy, uh, but not just that in a selfish and not a selfish in a self-preserving manner. Should we look at Bible prophecy? Should it stir us to action, but also for our loved ones, because there are no matter how you look at the rapture pre mid post or just to throw another one in there partial, um, no matter how you view that topic, the days ahead, if you take a futuristic view of prophecy, they are not bright in all sunshine. There is great hope offered to the church, to the saints, to those that are ready. But there is great woe and sorrow and terror. Paul said, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Um, there is dark days ahead for those that are lost, especially. Uh, no matter how you come down on the rapture and how all that plays out, um, I will just throw this in real quick. I'm not all millennial, uh, which would be the stance that would say that there is no literal 1,000-year reign of Christ. I'm not that. I'm not post-millennial. I don't believe that the church is going to just um, improve the world so much so that we win the majority of people to Christ, or as some would say, win everyone to Christ. And we present the kingdom to Christ. I don't see that in um, Bible prophecy. I, but I also don't take the stance that since I'm not all millennial, and especially since I'm not uh, post-millennial, that I believe the church is defeated. But again, we'll get into some of that later. I want to look at the urgency today of Bible prophecy. Um, anyway, probably shouldn't have went that far even into that topic. But to get back on point here, um, to see the urgency 
if I believe in a futuristic view, then I should want to see others. I should want to see them saved because however I view the rapture, which the catching away, whether I say at the very end, Christ descends to set up his kingdom on earth after the seven-year tribulation, um, that Christ descends and he catches the Christian up just to bring him right back down. Somewhere or another, there is a catching up and a catching away. I really don't see any way around that, whether it be to catch us up at the very end. And man, I did not mean to get into this. But anyway, um, whether it be a catching up at the end, a catching away at the beginning, a catching away in the middle, um, no matter how I view that, somewhere in there, that's got to fit. There's got to be a resurrection. Um, there is a catching up of some people. But anyway, I really need to get back on point here. However I view that, I need to understand that the souls of men and women are vastly affected by this. It's not just some pie-in-the-sky dream. Uh, it's not just, well, maybe it'll happen someday, maybe it won't. If you take a futuristic view of prophecy, of Bible prophecy, then it is a guarantee. And the eternal destination of people's souls could, without getting too far into any of that, um, could be affected eternally by that event. Um, anyway, so there should, I said all that to say that a futuristic view of Bible prophecy shouldn't make a person want to go to sleep and say, I'm just going to let everything go by. If that is your interpretation, a futuristic view of Bible prophecy, you're wrong, and that's not biblical. I don't know how else to say it besides that. that that's just not the way the Bible portrays that. I'm going to give you some scriptures to, to back that up and to show that. And one of Jesus' most repeated admonitions in relation to the prophecies that he himself gave of his own return in the Gospels, you'll find these, it is a continued call to watchfulness. It's repeated over and over and over. Let me give you some examples of this. In Matthew chapter 24, start with verse number uh, 42. The Bible says there, Watch therefore, for ye know not the hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Jump down to um, Matthew chapter 25, verse 13. Again, we see that same admonition. Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. So real quick, I, I just want to throw this in since we're on this scripture. If anyone ever says, hey, I know when Jesus, I know the day Jesus is coming back, mark them off. That is not true. That is false. And that is wrong. Jesus said, no man knows. So just mark that off. So whenever it says, I know the day, eh, mark that off. It ain't right. Let me move on. Um, the urgency of Bible prophecy. We see in Matthew 24, verses 42, 43, Matthew 25, verse 13, again and again and again, Jesus pushes and he drives home the point, watch, be ready, watch. Look in Mark chapter 13, uh, start with verse 33. Take ye heed and watch and pray. 
For ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave authority to his servants, and every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed, he's been saying that word watch a bunch. Anyway, let me get back to the scripture. Verse 35, watch ye therefore, for ye know not when the master of the house cometh at even or at midnight or at the cock crowing or in the morning. And what I say unto you, I say unto all watch. Do you, I mean, do you realize how many times that he says, watch, just in those few short verses, he gives us an admonition in verse 33, he says to watch. In verse 34, he says he commanded the porter to watch. In verse 35, he said, watch ye therefore. Um, then he mentions different times when he could come. In verse 30, in each one of these verses, he throws in that word, watch. In verse 37, he sums it up and says, what I say unto you, I say unto all, Watch. Look in Luke chapter 12. The Bible says there, Let your loins be girt about and your lights burning. And ye yourselves liken to men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them to sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. And if he come in the second watch or in the third watch and find them so blessed are those servants. And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh in an hour when ye think not. Over and over he uses that word watch, and then he uses other terms that would imply being watching and being ready. He's not just saying just sit around staring at the sky like, oh, I wonder if he's coming back today. Look to the east. Let's just sit here and do nothing but stare. That's not what he means. He's saying be ready. Be about. And you'll notice here in Luke he talks about that he's ready for um, his master to return. In fact, it's for... Um, uh, verse 36, and ye know yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding and when he, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. This implies being ready. I mean, these people don't have to jump up and start throwing things together. They've already got everything ready. The master knocks on the door. The door is going to open immediately. They are right there. They've been watching. They've been waiting. They are ready. In fact, in verse number 40, it speaks of the fact, um, be therefore ready also for the son of man cometh in an hour when you think not. And when it speaks of those who are ready in verse 38, toward the end of it says, um, and find them so blessed are those servants, the ones that are ready and the ones that he comes and he finds them watching. He says they are blessed servants. Look with me in uh, Luke chapter 21. If you want to uh, notice the, again, we're looking at the fact that that watchfulness, that we are urged, there is an urgency to be ready, to be watching, to be prepared for Christ's return, an urgency of Bible prophecy. 
uh, Luke 21, uh, start with verse 34, and take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life. And so that the day and so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the earth. And so how do you avoid that? How do you avoid being taken unawares? How do you avoid it being a snare to you? How do you avoid your heart becoming overcharged? I mean, just so caught up in the cares of this life and in everything that goes on. Verse 36, watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. But you see the things that he said to do? He said, you're to watch and you're to pray. You are to be prepared and you're to be in communication with your Lord. Um, now, it's not just Jesus and the Gospels that that points this out and that shows us this or that points us in this direction. The Apostle Paul uh, in a few places, he points the same thing out. It's a common thread throughout the scripture. I'm going to mention a few of them or a couple of them real quick. Um, you're going to notice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse number 1, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. You're going to recognize that uh, thief in the night language from Matthew, from Mark. Um, as Paul is really going over what is already known, what Christ has taught, picking up again in verse 3, For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now that word escape there should scream to you from Luke twenty one thirty six that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass. But those that aren't ready, those that aren't anyway, I'm really going to get ahead of myself there. Um, I just want to look at the urgency here. Um, verse 4, pick up again, 1 Thessalonians 5 and 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others. Now, you're going to remember it talks about people slumbering and sleeping. We read that earlier. But catch this next phrase. But let us watch and be sober. Uh, in Titus chapter number 2, again, Paul speaking. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Would you see that in verse 13? Looking for that blessed hope. That, that same idea of watching, of being ready, that urgency, be prepared, be looking for your Lord to return. Now, something I just want to look at this and point this out real, real fast. If you noticed in a lot of these um, passages, uh, and in a later show, I'll really bring this out more in a later episode. But you're going to notice in every one of these passages, there's not just an, an urging to watch. 
there's also an urgency to a consecrated life of holiness, a life of dedication to the Lord. Um, you, you're going to notice that in nearly every place where the coming of the Lord is mentioned. I'm not going to say everyone, um, and we'll get into some of the ways that you can see that. But anyway, I need to get back to the urgency here. Um, it can also be seen, this this theme of urgency of Bible prophecy can also be seen in the general epistles. Um, one, one place especially I'm going to just point out real quick uh, – I don't know. There's some debate. Some people would debate as to who uh, wrote the book of Hebrews. Some would say Apollos. Some uh, would say Paul. Some will point to Clement uh, of Rome. I mean, there's all sorts of different views on who wrote uh, the book of Hebrews. Not getting into that today at all. Maybe another time we can look at some evidences when we get more into the field of apologetics. But just looking at the urgency of Bible prophecy, uh, we'll leave that part aside about who wrote. Um, whoever wrote it, it is inspired scripture. It is uh, the word of God for us today. In Hebrews chapter number 9, verse 28, the Bible says, So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. But did you catch that right there? Unto them that look for him, he's speaking of watchfulness. He's speaking of that urgency that is all through Bible prophecy to be ready for Christ's return. Um, again, I want to look at uh, in uh, Revelation. And, and again, you're going to see the cry for watchfulness sounds forth loudly in Revelation. Now, there are a few places I could have looked at, but for the sake of time, uh, for the constraints of this podcast, I want to look at just one area in one place. Revelation chapter number 3, verses 2 and 3. Now listen what Jesus says to this church here. He says, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore, if therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I come, I will come upon thee. Did you see the similarities in this and in Matthew and Mark and Luke and Paul and Hebrews? All through Bible prophecy, you are going, if you take a futuristic view, you are going to see that it is urged upon people to be ready, to be watching, to pay attention, not to sleep, not to just say, I'm going to let the world go because it's all falling apart. That, that is never put forward in Bible prophecy. If anyone has that view and they say they believe in a futuristic fulfilling of biblical prophecy, they haven't read it. Um, they haven't taken time to look at it and to actually weigh it. Anyone who would say, well, I think the world's just going to end horribly anyway. Jesus is coming back. He's going to take us to heaven. And then the Antichrist is coming and things are going to be destroyed. Or someone who would say, well, we're going to be here to that halfway point of the tribulation. The Antichrist, we're going to have to face him for three and a half years. Or some who would say, we're going to be here all seven years and we're going to face the Antichrist and things are going to be awful. People are going to be martyred. There's nothing we can do to change any of this. So let's just set 
down and buckle up for a bumpy ride. They really don't know Bible prophecy. That is not the correct view. Um, not at all. In fact, one of the earliest places you can see this is whenever Jesus is taking his disciples after he's uh, been crucified, he's risen from the dead, he's about to ascend, and he gives them the command to tarry and to occupy. The word occupy there, occupy until he comes. We're to be busy about the master's business. We're to occupy this world. We're not to become one with the world. But we are to be busy about the master's work of saving souls, of reaching out to lead people to salvation, to point people to salvation. I can't save anyone. You can't save anyone. Only Jesus and God, only God can save a person's soul. Um, anyway, let me move on real quick. Again and again and over and over We've seen Bible prophecy will act as an alarm clock to the Christian that pays attention to its vital message. It will raise signposts by the study of Bible prophecy to warn us of the lateness of the hour and the great necessity to busy ourselves about the master's business. Bible prophecy, as we have already quoted, pushes the Christian to check their self as to purity of life and action. It serves to drive us to reach out to a lost world by reminding us of the shortness of the time in which we have to reach them. There's a great illustration um, that really puts this all in perspective as to how it should affect us. And it, it you can see it in Hebrews. It's the story of Noah in Hebrews as it's recorded there, his testament, the testimony of his in Hebrews 11. It's just one verse, Hebrews 11 and 7. The Bible says there, by faith, Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Because Noah heeded the warning from God of future events, just as we should heed the warnings of God from our from the perspective I hold, I would say of futuristic events that are to come, a futuristic view of Bible prophecy, just like Noah, I should heed the warnings of God of future events. And just like Noah was spurred into action, and the actions that he took had effects not only on him, but on his family. You're, you notice there where it says, to the save, he prepared an ark to the saving of his house. It had effects on him. He rode the storm out. It had effects on his family, his wife, his children, his daughter-in-laws. They rode the flood. They rode through the flood in safety. And it also had an effect on the rest of humanity. Because the Bible tells us in Peter, not only that he built an ark, but it also tells us that he was a preacher of righteousness. And you notice here at the end of Hebrews 11 and 7, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. Prophecy should do the same thing to us. It should drive us to search ourselves. It should drive us to put faith in what God has said. It should drive us to warn our families and those around us. And if we heed Bible prophecy, 
we can be like Noah. We can have an effect on ourselves and save our possibly save ourselves from so much heartache. However, your view of the rapture, the Christian, especially in the end, turns out much better than the one who does not have faith in Christ. So we can have effects on ourselves, but by warning our family, we can have, see them have the same effect and results and blessing that we are to receive. And by reaching out to lost humanity, we can see maybe some we don't even know, but, but we preach and we witness and we reach out. And we can see some of those saved. And in eternity, they can thank us. Hey, thank you for obeying God. Thank you for being willing to share the gospel. But we're not guaranteed when we share the gospel that the souls that, that people will respond in the way we want them to. But to those who don't respond, we warn them. We warn them of what is to come. And then they know. And if they reject Christ, if they turn away from God, they reject him, then it'll be like Noah again. When it said by the which he condemned the world. But he had an effect on everyone. I'm trying to remember, um, I Brother Burke Clendenin was preaching and he told about a bishop, uh, Bishop Washington, that he was listening to on his way home from a church service. I believe he said he was on his way home from church and he, uh, Bishop Washington said that Noah was the greatest preacher who ever lived. And Brother Clendenin said he slowed his car down to a crawl. He said, because he wanted to hear this, hear this explanation. Because he knew that Noah only had eight converts. Biblically, you know, looking at the Bible, he only had eight that it tells us that were saved. And Bishop Washington said everyone who heard him were either saved or damned by what they heard. Would that we could have the same effect. Not that we'd be able to say, look how great I've done. But that we would have the same boldness to affect this world for the kingdom of Christ. Um, anyway, in conclusion, in light of what we've seen today, let's go out and do as Jesus told his disciples in Luke chapter 10 and verse two, therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Let's wake up. Let's heed that honking and blowing of the horn of Bible prophecy and let's go out to win a lost world for our Savior and God, Jesus Christ.